Matthew chapter 5, I'll read and then we'll pray and then we'll... Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 down to... Well, I think I'll go down to 12. There's one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. His disciples gathered around him. There's a particular thought and process between why we call this our gathered church. I suppose in, in, in lots of our minds, we, we're going to church. Of course, we don't just go to church. We are the church and are therefore part of the church ourselves. Therefore, this is our gathered church. And also there are many facets to the work of the church that happens throughout uh, the course of the rest of the week in lots of different ways where we gather in, in other formats and opportunities. But this is what we would call our gathered church. But in our lives, we can gather around various various different um, things or philosophies or uh, I suppose in that sense and but actually his disciples gathered around him and he began to teach God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of God is theirs God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here and with us. God, we ask that by your spirit, your transformative, revealing spirit, open our hearts and minds to see, to hear what you're doing amongst us. And Lord, I, I pray, may you take these somewhat feeble human words to um, communicate something of your heart and mind this morning. Help us that even as we bring all that we are, all our experiences, both good and, um, and difficult to the table this morning, God help us to, to see through the glass, although dimly, but yet be able to see you. In your name we pray. Amen. Martin Luther King Day, remembering his life and fight for equality and justice. He thought, he believed, and lived that things could be better. Enjoyed it in that little video there from that child, the child president. Things could be better. I had a conversation with someone earlier in the week who is not part of Connect in, in any way, but um, uh, doesn't live too far uh, from here, someone that I, I work with in, in some capacity, and they actually said those very words. I don't want loads. I don't want a lot more, but I just wish things could be 
better. I think that in these words of the Beatitudes, the blessings, we read from Luke chapter 6, a short verse, shortened version of the Sermon on the Mount, and here in Matthew chapter 5 through to chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching, and essentially that things, I think he knew things could be better. I think he is in these teachings that are so important for us as Christians, of course, central to our faith, that Jesus was simultaneously both redefining yet realigning. He was revolutionizing yet at the same time rediscovering that things could and would be better. But at the same time, these words, this speech, this teaching that he's declaring at this time, uh, he just knew that things could be better. What speeches do you remember from people that you've heard over the years? There's a couple that, of course, we know of here that, that I allude to. You know, I've been reflecting this week on, on, on Greta Thunberg, and this in no way is any sort of kind of political joust or, or, or any way uh, at all, really, because there's a variety of, of opinions, and I, I get that, and that's, um, that's absolutely fine. I'm more reflecting upon her age... And the fact that she is speaking to such power and authority at just a teenager. Ah. And you know, in my thought process, then I reflected on the fact there was a time where Jesus was just a young boy and taught, and taught with such power and authority. And there was something about a young person that firstly, for any young person still sat in this room and any young person within our care, that they should be encouraged to be able to stand and speak and follow their passions and pursue that just because they are young doesn't mean they can't chase and speak and speak truth to power in lots of different ways. And you know, I thought regardless of what anyone may think of policies and political truths and science and loads of people's reflections that we read of and see and hear, that's, forget that for this moment in time. Um, but just at 17, to be able to speak in those four, at 16 or 15 to 17 and speak in those forums and to make such an impact and yet to be told to sit down and go back to school. I wonder how people then when I reflect upon that biblically of Jesus stood and teaching and expounding the truth and redefining yet revolutionizing the way of God how would people have felt and what would they have said and how would they have reflected on that truth that is I was so tra- challenged by that. And so, but I wonder on a different note for this morning, 
What is it that someone said? You know, because I'm well aware out of 52 weeks in the year, do we remember 52 sermons from a Sunday? Absolutely not. Some passionately shaking heads there. (laughs) Of course we don't. We try our best to allow God to lead us and show us and we all the different things to help us make something memorable, but no, of course we don't. There were a few talks over the years that I still remember. There's only three or four that over the years, even from you know five or six years ago, that people will message me about and say, Jim, I still remember that message you preached and still lean into it in times. And I go, thank God. And sometimes as a preacher, you need to hear that because you think, wow, do we ever, do I ever take it in? So what is it that someone said? What words have been spoken? Speeches that have been said that, you, that we lean into at different points. The Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 to 7, in Luke chapter 6, 20 to 49, known as the Sermon on the Plain, the shortened versions of that. Matthew's Gospel directly addressing the Jewish community particularly the Messianic Jews of Antioch who found themselves deeply embattled between two historic schools of thought within Judaism, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, the, the Sadducees didn't believe in the red resurrection, hence why perhaps they were sad, you see. And a little Bible school joke there. And, um, uh, and so anyway, that's perhaps some differences between their schools of thought in that, res- in that sense and of many others. And Luke's gospel had a solid focus on those writing to the audience of those who were perhaps poor and the outcast, the least of these. But I think there's some things that we can perhaps reflect on and uh, notice about these passages. And we always have to remind ourselves that these, this was said and written in a particular context of what was happening in that world, in the world at that time. And so where did it happen? I'll come to that in a moment, in fact. Um, They were sat on a hillside, and Jesus begins to teach the disciples how they can live to make things better. In fact, as you read the Sermon on the Mount, he would say things such as, you have heard it said, but I say to you. I love that. Perhaps within that, not just what Jesus was teaching at that time, but perhaps the principle of asking questions, of being curious, of saying, why do I believe what I believe? And why do we do things the way that we do? And why am I doing the things the way that I do it? Actually being curious and asking questions is really spiritual and important. So yes, although we lean into the many phrases and teachings that Jesus will address in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Plain, the principle also of asking questions. You have heard it said, but I say to you. That principle in itself is so important. But also, he was set on a mountain. The mountain perhaps has no name, and he takes a posture of an elder or preacher or teacher teaching in the temple and begins to speak poetically, lovingly, reflecting not just on a new way of teaching, but a new way of living. 
There's something about this sermon happening that isn't in a temple or a religious sacred space traditionally, but it is out on a mountain top. There's no structure, no building, but there is a gathering of people coming together to follow and hear what Jesus is speaking, which begs the question, what do we think are holy and sacred spaces and places and why? And do we limit God to those places and those structures and those formats? Or is God also elsewhere? Is there something more that Jesus is redefining and revolutionizing in this way and in this place at this time where he's giving his sermon on the mount, which are so important to us as Christians? Is there something, the fact that spirituality following Jesus is more than the pathway that perhaps we know of what we perhaps traditionally think of discipleship and how that happens. In fact, you know, at the leadership meeting on Thursday, we had a really helpful discussion about discipleship because my own reflection on discipleship is, although perhaps I've maybe learned some things at different points uh, through being in a Bible study and indeed going to Bible school and having the privilege of training for ministry, perhaps in that way as well. But, but actually, my, I don't know about you, but my most sincere reflections on discipleship, on mentoring, on, uh, on following Jesus has been completely informal, where a good friend is somebody who carries something, who I look up to, who I admire, who I think carries something of the way of Jesus. And we've just been informally sharing food or going for a walk or it's not been planned. It's not been, I am discipler and you are disciplee. Let me expound the truth of God upon you so that you can follow me in all my ways. But I'm challenged by that and the informality of it and the relationship of it. And I'm challenged by that because it means I have responsibility to carry something of God to be able to share with others. And I think perhaps this is a, seems like a bit of an informal moment, a moment where there is a crowd, yes, and they're, they're following Jesus. And I do think that there are throngs of people that want to hear good news, not just good advice or good sound bites or nice tweeted phrases, but good news that revolutionizes life and society and speaks truth to the powers and structures that be that go beyond my daily life, although I want it to speak to my daily life also. And so perhaps there's something here of asking the question, well, what's some of the point of this sermon? I would say some of these things. That the Sermon on the Mount is not just Jesus sat there telling people how to behave. This is no simple set of rules, nor is it it an equation for some sort of celestial transaction to take place, i.e., I do this, God does that. This is no simple set of rules, but perhaps part of the goal of this Sermon on the Mount is the boundless good of God being revealed here and now. 
I think it's perhaps Jesus teaching and yet invoking some sort of supportive and yet constructive attitudes of heart. Although perhaps in these verses I've read this morning, the Beatitudes, we've heard it said, these are attitudes we can embrace. Well, I'm not saying necessarily there's anything wrong with that, but perhaps there's more. Perhaps that's not the entirety of what they are. Um, perhaps only the beginning in some sense, uh, but let, we'll get into that in a moment. And perhaps that these are actually spiritual insight that is about inner transformation from the inside out. Perhaps we can say it by way of this illustration. To break the sound barrier, an object must travel faster than the speed of sound, which is approximately 760 miles an hour. There's a film about when they were breaking the sound barrier. And um, in the film, uh, it, it, of course, based on truth, but not entirely historically um, accurate. But indeed, in the film, as they were breaking the sound barrier, um, uh, uh, the, 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 just as they were breaking the sound barrier was when the, uh, the plane shook the most... Um, and uh, the laws changed where instead of uh, pulling, uh, pulling up uh, to go up, uh, they found in the film that, that they started to go down. Um, and so they changed it where they were getting to that point, they would push down to go up. And essentially the controls were turned upside down. But also, I'm not saying that's the historical part, but accuracy. But, but indeed, as you go through the sound barrier, there's an incredible noise that I'm sure we've all heard at different points where we've been at, uh, on holiday or perhaps even locally, but certainly where we've been down in Dorset or whatnot, you hear the, the planes flying, boom, and you, 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 know, you hear that, and it's such a loud noise. And I think these teachings were turning everything upside down and back to front, and they were making an almighty noise that this isn't the way it's going to stay, but here is something of the reign and rule of God where everything is turned upside down. And let me say this, it is uncomfortable. You can't hear these words and be comfortable. And if we do, then we've missed the point of what Jesus was saying as he was speaking not just to the educated and the religious hierarchy, but he's speaking to everybody who gathered. That's important. In an era where it was empire and reign and rule and wealth defined by all that you could have and titles, etc., etc., and education, and yet Jesus is speaking to everybody and then speaks the... Beatitudes. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. These are powerful words. In fact, so let's get into this momentarily. In the beginning, 
the Beatitudes. Of course, we have in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, uh, for us, as far as the first four books of the New Testament as Christians, I suppose would be some sort of comparative equivalent to the first five books of the Old Testament uh, and Jewish law uh, in that sense. And so here we have the word blessed. Blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for him. In Hebrew, asir, in Greek, karios, and here's what this these words mean there's a chap called Kenneth Bailey who's written a wonderful book called Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes here's what the the word blessed means as a group the Beatitudes do not mean blessed are the people who do x because they will receive y the point is not exhortation for a certain type of behavior He goes on and quotes uh, another writer called Raymond Brown. He says, these are not part of a wish and do not invoke a blessing. Rather, they recognize an already existing state of happiness and good fortune. This is a word, blessed those who are poor. For the kingdom of God is yours it's already with you and it's already there and perhaps in this culture of empire of power and success defined by many other things they've missed the point blessed are you who mourn for yours is the kingdom of God not that we have to become poor But this is good news, not good advice. In a world where there was no NHS, no care system, where the least of these were absolutely put on the outside and downcast and downtrod, and Jesus says, hey, come, this is good news. I've got some good news. That when God is emperor and when God reigns and when God is on the throne and I am here as God's son incarnate and it is already beginning now, As I announce this good news, yours is the kingdom of God. They affirm a quality uh, that is already present. Maybe this illustration perhaps may help. Blessed is the daughter of Mr. Jones. I've no idea who this person is. I've just found them uh, on some sort of free image website. So uh, this is Mr. Jones's daughter because she will inherit the Joneses farm. Blessed is the daughter of Mr. Jones because she will inherit the Joneses farm. The woman in question is already happy. She's not working to earn the inheritance of her father's farm. It's already hers and she knows it and she's living in it. And she and her community know that she will inherit the farm and she is secure in this knowledge that it is already hers. They affirm a quality that is already present. So blessed is a state of already existing happiness. There's something about that that's important. And there's something about that that I think, for me, makes me think and go, right, okay, 
<laughs> so what is Jesus announcing at this point? So we get to the Beatitudes, uh, a ninefold blessing turning ordinary ideas of conventional understanding of happiness upside down. That it's not the rich and the powerful or the ruthless who are genuinely favored or blessed, but rather the wonderful news is for those who recognize their dependence is on God. There's something about recognizing our dependence on God that can be directly correlated with that which we have. The Beatitudes are an announcement of something that is starting to happen, not about a general truth of life. These are, this is Jesus speaking truth to saying, when I'm on the throne and it's not happening in the future, it's happening here and now, that there's something about where you've got this conventional life and reality that we know and simultaneously we have the reign and rule of God that is happening when we declare Jesus is king and somehow they are interlocking with the works that Jesus did, with the ways that when we live his life, that the kingdom of God is here and now, and suddenly our present reality is changed. See, most people in our world think that the wonderful news consists of success, wealth, and long life. Nothing wrong with those things. But when you're a believer and eternity starts now, it doesn't start when we close our eyes and sleep for eternity or whatnot in that sense when we die. Eternity starts now. So, and this is really important. In fact, to quote Tom Wright, he says, God is acting in and through Jesus to turn the world upside down, to turn Israel upside down, and to pour out lavish blessings on, ho on all who now turn to him and accept the new that he is doing. When we accept the new that Jesus is doing, blessed are you who are poor because yours is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. You see, the conventional controls don't work in this new space. They're upside down, inside out, and back to front. I'm going to get to one more thing before we come to a close with this message this morning. But what about heaven? In here, we, we, we hear the words, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in Luke, it will say the kingdom of God. And, and um, uh, in that sense, and that's why I referenced the audiences of which these, um, the Gospels were being written to. But heaven in the Beatitudes, the meaning of heaven uh, in the Beatitudes is not heaven as in life after death. That would be to misunderstand what is trying to be communicated at this point. But heaven is God's space where full reality exists. And it's close, as I say, by our ordinary earthly reality and interlocks. Again, to quote uh, N.T. Wright or Tom Wright, in that sense, he says, the life of heaven, the life of the realm where God is already king, is to become the life of the world, transforming the present earth into the place of beauty and delight that God always intended. So there's something about this, that the life of heaven. So when we say, man, 
This is like heaven on earth. You know, you have those moments where whatever it may, may well be for some of us at different points, we go, wow, this is like heaven on earth. It may well be that, you know, uh, a debt's been settled or we're having a, a major moment in a worship song or uh, a time of prayer at home or we're going on a, a, a wonderful walk and in creation and we go, wow, this is just like heaven on earth. Or it may well be where somebody has, has done some amazing kindness or uh, support or there's a moment of forgiveness that we've been carrying a weight of for so long and somebody says I love you and you're forgiven and we say ha and we're relieved and it feels like heaven on earth and it's here and now and there's something about where the church is in full throttle and activity and movement and progress and serving and loving and supporting and belonging where people come in and they say there's something about this place there's something about these people there's something about everything that this place is a part of and it's I don't know what it is Is it peace? Is it joy? Is it authenticity? Is it belonging? Is it forgiveness? It's like heaven on earth. And there's something of that that isn't just about a congregated church, although I think that is true, but it's something about you and me, that where we go to work and whatever it is that we do, wherever we are, whoever we encounter, that they come across part of the kingdom of heaven in you and I and when we're in full motion realigned it is something that revolutionizes life as we know it literally life cannot go on the way that it did before there is something that then where success and wealth and uh, authority is redefined and we say okay That's big. There's something about these words where Jesus is completely revolutionizing the way that people thought and lived. The Beatitudes are a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future because that future has arrived in the present in Jesus of Nazareth. The Beatitudes are a summons by God, a call by Jesus to say, let's live this now. And it's challenging for me because it means, what does this mean for me? (laughs) I think it opens up a conversation and an announcement about compassion about compassion, how we love and care for others and also for ourselves. But certainly it means it's good news. And I know I don't like it when, when church or Christianity represents it as heavy and hard news. Come to God, just make sure that you do these things in this way all the time. Make sure you change this about yourself first. (sighs) 
Come to Jesus. Just make sure you go to two Bible studies a week. Make sure you pray every day. Be certain to read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. Uh, keep, keep making sure that you, you, know, you know, do these things and whatnot. And you have to pray. make sure you tell five people about Jesus in a certain way, a certain point. Otherwise, whoa, God's going to be after you. Oh, fantastic. Oh, really? Yeah, and don't, don't worry, you can change friendship circles as well, so none of your old friends will be your... You've got to get to know everyone in church now. That's your friendship circle, and you can't know anybody else who doesn't go to church. You've got to make... Oh, oh really? Oh, that's, uh, oh, that's liberty. That's joyful. It's supposed to be good news that spreads to others where they say there's something about this message that is different. Bless you, Jeff. He mentioned to me earlier that he had to go early. I said, don't worry, you don't have to apologize. I wouldn't think bad of it. So I think it's an an announcement of compassion. I'm coming into close. Uh, There's a chap called um, Alexander Shire, and he says, uh, he, he writes this, if we can place the Beatitudes on our hearts, walk with them on our feet, hold them in our hands and seal them in our thoughts, we will have further, deeper and richer insight into the heart and intentions of God and, oh dear, uh, and they will become our walking staff and guide for the arduous times that we face in life. I'm encouraging us this morning as believers to get into the Sermon on the Mount the Sermon on the Plain, because we're going to base ourselves there for the next few weeks. Our actions, we sum up. It's an announcement opening us up to compassion. Our actions are realigning with the reality of God. We're not just living good well-behaved lives so that we can gain or earn or even maintain a ticket into heaven in the future. But rather the choices that we make here and now bring heaven to earth. This is really important that we're not just doing those things that we can so we can scrape in by the skin of our teeth is that the saying I'm not sure I don't have skin on my teeth I know what that means anyway scrape you know that we can just scrape in you know squeaky bum time I've just got in but you know I did well down there so I'm just in but the actions and choices we make are so meaningful because actually it's about bringing heaven to other in fact uh, in fact the the Lord's prayer within this teaching is central it's the key your kingdom come on earth as in heaven There's something about that which we're doing now which make our choices and our actions deeply meaningful. But the Beatitudes, they redefine wealth, power, success, and that is all redefined in Jesus. So everything that generally um, people put their security in is absolutely realigned and redefined and challenged in the person and the teachings of Jesus and his salvific work on the cross. Things can be better. Things can be better.